0: don't know if Brother Ken is listening, but thank you for that prayer, Brother. <clears throat> I'm certain that your younger brother, me, cannot do better than you would have done. But I want to be faithful to the opportunity that the Lord has given us. And I have been under a unique um, sense of, of purpose and calling in being here this weekend. Um, preaching is not unusual to me. I've preached in a couple of states already, a couple of different times already this week, and that's not unusual, but I've had an unusual sense of God's purpose for being here, and I'm sure part of that is things I need to learn. I greatly enjoyed hearing Brother John this morning. That takes me back to my youthhood when I used to get to listen to Brother John at Bible school. I'm sure part of it is things I need to learn, but I'm sure part of it also is the word that God wants us to receive today from Matthew chapter 5. And so I want to endeavour to be faithful. I'll be honest with you, I'm a bit I'm much less of a a Bible teacher and a bit more of a rough Bible preacher. So it may be a slightly different flavour, but Brother John communicates his enthusiasm for the Word of God through excellent teaching, which has benefited my life greatly, and by God's grace I can communicate my enthusiasm through preaching. Maybe a couple of opening remarks here before we read Matthew chapter 5. You can go ahead and turn there if you'd like. A couple of opening remarks from my unique perspective. I was thinking about it since our focus is on the Sermon on the Mount this weekend. I was thinking of the the fact that as I look back in my life, um, maybe you recognize those of you who know me or if you don't just from my last name, that I don't come into Anabaptist circles by blood. And I was thinking about my youthhood and thinking of the the process by which I became comfortable in my own heart identifying with the Anabaptists. And I thought of the fact that the Sermon on the Mount and a practical belief in this portion of Scripture and the fact that though practiced imperfectly, there is at least an agreement on the fact that this portion of Scripture is important and is to be obeyed. And in my youthhood, it was part of my accepting, maybe the name, Anabaptist, some of the history of the Anabaptists and some of that identity was linked to believing in these three chapters. So I thought it might be worthwhile for me to mention that here. Um, If you remove these three chapters from God's Word, you have a very different New Testament. And so to to connect myself to a group of people that agree that these chapters are front and center or should be front and center in the, in the Christian church was a very formative part of my life. Beware of any attack on these chapters. You know, I know that you read and I read a lot of different books from a lot of different sources. But be very careful of an attack on these three chapters. Because when you remove these chapters, and I've heard it said before, well, actually Jesus didn't do any of those specifics. That was all down there. And you get down into Peter where you get the specifics. Do this, don't do this. But Jesus just preached love. That's only true if you eliminate the Sermon on the Mount. And I think you can find even outside of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached a practical Gospel. But with the Sermon on the Mount included, there's absolutely no way to conclude that Jesus was not preaching a practical gospel. So beware of an attack on these three chapters. I also thought from my unique perspective as a missionary in Africa, it may interest you to know that we're placing great emphasis on the teaching of these three chapters to our African brothers and sisters. Just in the last couple of years, um, electricity is starting to come into the villages where my family and I live. And with electricity coming and also the deregulation of the radio industry, suddenly we have Christian radio on the air, and a whole tribe of people who've lived outside of you know radio waves and television waves are suddenly turning on their radios and being initially delighted to hear the Word of God being preached over the radio. If you can imagine being a new believer in an African village and you hear nothing but what the preacher comes and teaches you and you can't read your Bible because you're illiterate and you flick on the radios one day and there's preaching on the radio. And this just started happening a couple of years ago that I realized, wow, all of a sudden these infant churches are being inundated with a very different type of Christian theology. And definitely a, you know, easy believism, faith not works, Personal salvation, not kingdom of God. And so in order to combat that, one of the things that we've been doing, and we have already taught out of it, but I just finished again um, a couple of months ago before I came back to the States here, I just finished going through the Sermon on the Mount again with my leaders, believing that if they can be equipped with the practical living out of these three chapters they will be equipped with the necessary filters to start identifying the falsehood that is called Christianity today. And I'm sure you can feel with me some of that concern, lest they be taken away. You know, Brother John mentioned the the, the words that Paul gave. Be careful lest someone takes you away and deceives you away. And in my heart as I realize that these young believers are for the first time facing false theologies, my heart is just... Oh, you know, like a father. I just want to protect them. I want to put them in a room. You know, I want to I want to protect them from having to face all of this. But I can't do that. But what I can do is caution them against the Christian radio. But I can also teach them these chapters. And I, I'm only mentioning that to you not to to, to to pat myself on the back for what I'm teaching. But rather to say to you and I, let us treasure what we have in these three chapters. Because they have been in the past and they will be in the future um, poles that we can align our lives with which will help us to identify truth and falsehood. And we live in an era in which there's far more Christian falsehood than there has ever been before. So may God help us to know and digest these chapters. They are definitely some of the first that you should commit to memory if you have not. The title for this afternoon's message given by the organizers here, is this. Honoring Christ by embracing the Beatitudes. And before we get into this, we're just going to read um, chapter 5, verse 1 to 16. And seeing the multitudes, He went up into a mountain. And when He was set, His disciples came unto Him. And He opened His mouth and taught them, saying... "...for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven." For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on an hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. And verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We thank God for His Word this afternoon. I'm not sure if it's possible in 50 minutes to even give a basic perusal of these beatitudes. My desire this afternoon is to more or less lift them up in the composite and uh, possibly encourage you by um, strengthening your the value that you place on these Beatitudes, possibly encourage you to go home and do individual study on these Beatitudes, these ideal attitudes, these attitudes that God blesses. But I would like for us this afternoon to look at them as a whole and understand Maybe why they're here in the Sermon on the Mount. Why are they the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount? The title is, Honoring Christ by Embracing the Beatitudes. The Lord Jesus is speaking to a multitude. sitting on. He's sitting on a mountain. And He has a multitude around Him. And He opens His mouth with these words. He gathers a crowd of people. He sits them down. He begins to preach to them and His opening word is blessed. And His opening words are blessed, 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 blessed. This is an introduction to a very long sermon and Jesus chooses to open this His sermon with these beautiful attitudes or blessed attitudes called the Beatitudes. You and I this afternoon desire to honor Christ. I know that That is in all of our hearts. We have a desire to honor Christ. And this afternoon, we would like to embrace. Maybe you have in the past, but again today, let's embrace these Beatitudes as a way of honoring Christ. Probably the word embrace doesn't need any explanation to you, but we still do use the word embrace as maybe um, a slightly more technical term or maybe slightly older English for what's now called a hug. And I do not mean to cheapen that word in any way by attaching it to the title here. But that is exactly what we desire to do this afternoon. We desire to embrace, to claim as our own, to hold close to ourselves and show affection for these Beatitudes. It's very dangerous when Scripture is something that we kind of hold out there. We want to bring it in here. That's what we say we believe, right? Practical. We want to hold it in here real close to us where we can embrace it and make it a part of our lives. How do we honor Christ by embracing the Beatitudes? We honor Christ because we're we're living out those things which he calls blessed. But maybe even more than that, as we become the Beatitudes, we are becoming like Christ. Our brother mentioned this morning Philippians chapter 2. And if we were to put these two portions of Scripture beside each other, you could find most of the Beatitudes at least suggested in Philippians chapter 2, where we are told, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. And we are told to put on the mind of Christ. A mind which humbled Himself. A mind which responded to the world with meekness. A willingness to suffer without taking uh, any revenge and if you look at these two portions beside each other you would see many parallels so we honor Christ by embracing the Beatitudes because by embracing the Beatitudes we are in fact embracing the attitudes of our Lord Jesus amen when we accept the Beatitudes and we make them ours we are accepting the things which Jesus says are blessed and he's putting his stamp of approval on that which is already perfected in him All of these character qualities, all of these attitudes, all of these mindsets, all of these hearts, if you will, are found in their perfection in Jesus Christ. So as we embrace the Beatitudes, we become like Jesus, thereby giving Him honor. Honoring Christ by embracing the Beatitudes. I'd like to point out to you that this portion of Scripture is positive. Positive. It's one of my bully pulpits, if you will, to to, to endeavor to point out to us how much of Scripture we view negative when it's actually positive. Our brother mentioned Matthew chapter 6 and how that we're told not to lay up and we're constantly hear that in our minds and we feel like God is putting a restriction upon us when in fact He's giving us the absolute best investment advice you could ever get. But it's because we look from sort of a... I don't know, halfway between the world and kingdom mindset, and we feel a little uncomfortable over here because we know something about the kingdom mindset, but we have not embraced the kingdom mindset, so we're, we're sort of in the middle and uncomfortable with both. May God help us. But this word is positive. These beatitudes are not, there's no don't do this and don't do that in the beatitudes. The beatitudes are all positive. Positive. Now, sometimes they appear negative to us because, again, our value system is not yet a kingdom value system. And so we think, oh my, poor in spirit. We don't even like the word poor. So it's a little bit of a hump to get over to think that it could be positive to be poor in spirit. And as soon as you look at that word, every commentator says, this is not talking about poverty. Which it's not. But the fact of the matter is, is that there's a whole lot more overlap than we would like And a lot of times those who are poor have a better understanding of poverty of spirit than those that are rich. But we don't like that. So the first thing every commentator says is, this is not talking about penury. This is not talking about monetary poverty. But we have a negative response to some of these words because our values are not yet Christ's values. And so we look at poor in spirit and we have a negative reaction. We look at, we look at mourning and we think, well, we don't want to mourn, you know? We, there's a huge industry of making people laugh. We don't want to mourn. And we could go on down through. We do not live in a society which values meekness. We don't value hunger. We don't want to be thirsty. So it's hard for us to see that these are actually positive verses. But that's what I'd like to lift up this afternoon. I'd like for us to understand together that Jesus is painting a beautiful picture here. He's not starting out his message saying, "Okay, let me give you a list of eight things. Don't do this. Don't do this. He's rather painting a beautiful picture of a blessed life. And to the to the degree that we react against it and don't view it to be positive, we're we're probably turning a mirror on our hearts and identifying how much of us is still still has a fleshly or worldly value system. And so that's why it looks negative. But let's take it in the face value that as Jesus was communicating these things to that multitude, he was communicating something beautiful. Something positive. A standard that he wanted them to look up to, admire, and reach toward. Amen? Thank you. I appreciate those responses. That fits what I'm used to in Africa. Jesus says in effect, let me tell you the life that I value. Let me tell you the outlook that I value. Let me tell you the heart that I value. Let me tell you what I view as supremely happy. Let me tell you what I view as perfect blessing. And then he begins to give us the Beatitudes. This is blessed. Now let me tell you what this is blessed. Let me tell you how it's blessed. That's what Jesus in effect is giving us in the Beatitudes. In my mind, and I, maybe it just helps me to picture it, but I sort of picture the Beatitudes with the headline as blessed. I wish, you know, if we, if we had like a, a mannequin or a, a person up here, we could say, this is blessed. Now let me tell you what this is. This is blessed. This blessed person is, and then we could go down through the Beatitudes. Because I believe that's what Jesus, that's the picture that Jesus is painting for us. Before we start looking at them in just a a bit more detail, I still want to look a little bit more at the word embrace. I ran across the book during some research for another uh, textbook to use in our mission school in Ghana. I ran across the title of a book and I, I realized that people like to put catchy titles on books and maybe it's not a bad book and maybe someone here has read it. But the, the title is so appalling to me and, and represents so much of what is Christianity today. The title of the book was, How Little Can I Believe and Still Be a Christian? Now, it's probably a book on Christian apologetics and probably saying these are the five core things you must believe to be a Christian. But that is absolutely so typical of American Christianity today. How little can I believe and still be a Christian? How little can I do, if they believe in doing at all, how little can I do and squeak into the, into the kingdom of heaven? What a tragedy this is. That is absolutely the opposite of embracing, isn't it? May God help us. You do not need to turn here, but let me read to you a scripture that comes to my mind that highlights this. David in Psalms 119 and verse 31 says, I have stuck unto thy testimonies. Wow! I have stuck unto thy testimonies. Probably if I would have asked you if that word was in the Bible, you would have said stuck. No, the the word stuck is not in the Bible. It is. I have stuck unto thy testimonies, O Lord, put me not to shame. And then verse 32... I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. That, brothers and sisters, is embracing. Lord, I will run in the way of your commandments. Lord, I want to know what you love, what you desire, what you bless, and I will run in that direction. And that's the arch-opposite of how little can I believe and still be a Christian. I don't think there's much of that attitude here, at least not that rank of an attitude, but there is in all of our hearts, including my own, a desire to sort of slice and dice it and figure out where the real line is, you know, and how close is too close and how hot is too hot. May God fill us with the desire this afternoon to embrace the Sermon on the Mount and specifically these Beatitudes, to hold them as something dear to our heart. May God give us a desire to run in the way of His commandments. And may we be stuck while everybody else is unstuck. While everybody is casting off and throwing away and, and running away from and reinterpreting. May we be stuck. I like that. You're a little old-fashioned. Well, I'm, I'm stuck. Not old-fashioned for old-fashioned sake, but, but stuck. Stuck. On the truths of God's Word. Stuck on things that were believed and have worked for the church for hundreds of years and only recently have we found new truth to get rid of them. May God help us to be stuck. Amen. You know, it's interesting how people use words and throw them at you. Oh, you're stuck in the, you're stuck in a rut. Well, I hope we are stuck in a rut of the old ways and embracing the Word of God. I told you that it was very formative in my life to grasp the Sermon on the Mount and realize how much of the Christian world does not embrace the Sermon on the Mount. I believe that all of us here, at least in in word, embrace it. But I think that there is still in all of our lives a gap between what we say we embrace and what we really live with our lives. And this weekend is intended to narrow that gap and to help us to bring our lives more closely to the Sermon on the Mount. And to let our values more closely mirror kingdom values. And to put a, maybe a greater appreciation and love for this portion of Scripture into our hearts. May God grant that. I have run in the way of Thy commandments. That is the difference. That's the, the opposite of trying to get by. So the Beatitudes for us this afternoon are not rules of things that we cannot do, but rather a standard of a blessed life that God is calling us to. Jesus is saying to this multitude of people and saying to our hearts this afternoon, there is a life which I bless. There is a mind that I bless. There is an attitude that I bless. There is a a man or woman that I bless. And let me now tell you the kind of man or woman that I bless. And let me tell you the way that I bless them. And so for us, the Beatitudes are laying out of line by line of this blessed man or woman. And then they are laying out line by line of the way that God blesses. What a treasure it is. It's not just, it's, it would be enough for God to just say, I bless that person. But the Beatitudes lay out for us specific characters and specific blessings that fit into this blessed person. The Beatitudes are the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. It's very obvious from the context that this is where the Sermon starts. It's not like Matthew just sort of picks up in the middle somewhere. He says that the crowd gathered and they were on the mountain and, and Jesus opened His mouth and this was His introduction. I would like to suggest to you this afternoon that Jesus is painting the beautiful picture of a blessed man promising certain blessings to that blessed man or woman as the introduction to the next three chapters which will lay out many practical areas of obedience. It would be an excellent study for some of you young people maybe or older ones to take the Beatitudes and then try to find the practical outworkings that line up with them throughout the Sermon on the Mount because they are there. If you look at the practical commands of the Sermon on the Mount, they find their root back in the Beatitudes. Because this is the life that God blesses, and then based on the fact that this is the life God blesses, then these are the things that you need to do practically. And that's always the way Scripture works. We sometimes tend to look at the things that, that God says to us and debate over them and debate how far they should be taken, but we so easily lose sight of the fact that underneath all of that, God is not trying to lay down the rules and regulations. He's trying to let us pick up His heart. This is what I want. I want the blessed life for you. And based on that, all of these practical things must be worked out. What are these beatitudes or ideal attitudes that God blesses? God blesses the poor in spirit. God blesses those that mourn. Jesus says, I bless those that are meek. I bless those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. God says, I bless the merciful. This blessed person That I'm paint, that God is painting a picture of in front of us this afternoon. This blessed person is pure in heart. This blessed person is a peacemaker. And lastly, this blessed person is willing to suffer for Christ. This is a biblical view of who is happy. Happy and blessed. They're quite similar if you look at the, the, um, the Greek word used. This is a biblical view of a blessed person. It's so different from what the world says blessedness is. So different from what the world says happiness is. And you and I, brothers and sisters, we are affected by the world. We're affected by its values. Unless we are constantly on guard and constantly washing ourselves with the Word and constantly strengthening kingdom values by agreeing with God's Word, we're affected by the values of the world around us. And that's why it is that we read these Beatitudes and something in our heart says, Wow, that's blessed? That's happy? Are you sure? It's because we're affected by the world around us. The world doesn't think the poor in spirit are the blessed ones. Not at all. That's a kingdom value. Not this kingdom, His kingdom. He values it. He says it's blessed. He says it's beautiful. He says it's the person that He blesses. And you and I are committed to be members of His kingdom. Right? We are under His Lordship. May God help us to pick up His values. Poor in spirit. Those that mourn. Those that are meek. Those that are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. The pure in heart. I wonder what it means in 2012 to be pure in heart. I wonder sometimes. Sometimes I remember back to my childhood where most of you and most of us wouldn't buy gas from gas stations that sold cigarettes. I remember that. Any older head shaking? Is there anybody else who remembers that? I know they all sell cigarettes now, but I remember when that was an issue. I remember the outcry when the grocery stores started to put those magazines up front by the checkouts. What does it mean to be pure in heart in 2012? I know that it doesn't mean closing ourselves up in a cocoon. And if you think maybe fleeing to Africa would make it easier, the world is the world. But we are called to be pure in heart. And once again, this is a value that cuts across across the grain of the values of the world around us. I want to make a comment on the last two verses of the Beatitudes verse um, eleven and twelve speak about being persecuted it 's interesting when you read commentators, and I would urge you to learn to identify the angle that a commentator is coming from, but When you look at verse 11 and 12, some commentators don't acknowledge that as one of the beautiful attitudes, but rather, if you're living these out, you may suffer persecution. And I thought about that. You know, you really can't be persecuted for righteousness if you believe in fighting back. That's just what we call war. Right? And the very, very early church, they were persecuted and they suffered... And they were persecuted and they suffered and they lived a level of blessing that the church gave up when they decided not to suffer quietly anymore. And our brother mentioned this morning and it will be spoken again on Sunday. But that was not a small thing. That was a huge change to decide, well, we're no longer going to take it sitting down. We're going to arm ourselves. Now we're in government and we'll fight because from then on, you really can't be persecuted. That's just war. The whole world fights. That's the way the kingdom of this world works. Everybody fights with everybody. That's not persecution. But that's why I use the word suffering. Those who are willing to suffer. Because the whole world faces conflict and arms themselves and the strongest one wins. May we accept this beatitude and make it our own. I know we believe in it. But may we take the attitude and make it our own. Thank God for some examples. Like Brother Ken right now, what he's walking through is a living example of something we often only talk about, right? That we say we believe in it, but we don't really live in a society in which we're facing it on a daily basis. But Brother Ken is facing it right now and he's setting an example for us and also for the the world's media while they watch. And you've got to know that they're scratching their heads because it's a totally un- it's not, of the, this, it's not of a value of the kingdoms of this world not to fight back. It's that kingdom. And we thank the Lord for some positive examples of that even in our day. As I prayed over this portion of Scripture this morning, I felt like the Lord was saying to my own heart and I want to communicate to you The frustration that you and I sometimes feel because we are caught in between the values of God's word and the the values of the kingdoms of this world. And I want to say to you and I this morning, and I want to encourage all of us as we're gathered here at this Kingdom uh, Fellowship Weekend. I want to encourage us to make a step towards God's values. And one of the ways that we can start doing that is just by sitting in a message like this and choosing to embrace Choosing to put your arms around. Choosing to open your heart and encircle this portion of Scripture and choose to acknowledge the Word of God to be true. When I look in my own life at places where I'm not being obedient to these beatitudes or I'm being obedient but but I'm uncomfortable with it and I don't like it. It's because my values are not lining up with His values. And so that's one of the, the treasures that we have in these Beatitudes is that as we seek to have the attitudes of Christ, it, it shows us up. It shows us where our values are wrong. And so this afternoon, may God help us to move away from that in-between place where we're frustrated. Do you know what I mean? We're trying. We know this is what we're supposed to be living. This is what God's Word tells us to do. But we don't feel like we have the power for it. And it feels like it's... it's it's um, It's a heavy load to carry. That's because we're still kind of owning the world's value system while trying to fulfill God's Word. Anybody else find themselves in that position? Let's be honest with ourselves and with God. That's not God's fault that the beautiful attitudes seem to be such a a load to carry. Seem to be so hard to fulfill. That's not God's fault. It's because we've sucked up this value system and it works in our heart against the value system of the kingdom. Amen? Amen. May God help us to come over into a place of blessedness. Giving up the world's value system is accepting the values and accepting the value system of God is walking into a place where God's grace can flow in our lives and we can experience the blessedness that's laid out for us here. Choosing to live in this middle ground in between the two is choosing to live a a conflicted life. Let's move away from that conflicted life because we've got our hand in this value system and another hand over here. Let's come over here and accept, Lord, You said this is beautiful. I accept it as beautiful. I hold this image of a beautiful, blessed life in front of me and I reach toward it. And I accept what You say about it. That's the only way that God's Word sanctifies our lives. Not just by beating on us. It sanctifies our lives when we embrace it and reach towards it. So we've looked at this picture of a blessed person. These ideal attitudes that God desires for us to carry. How does God bless us? How does God bless this blessed person? Like I said already, it's a treasure that God doesn't just say, I bless this kind of person, but lays out for us specific ways that He blesses the person who picks up and holds these ideals. And so we have listed, just like we have the eight Beatitudes listed, we also have these specific blessings. This blessed person, this happy person, this person who lives out the character and ideals of Jesus Christ... The kingdom of heaven is his or hers. The kingdom of heaven is his or hers. He or she has ownership in the kingdom of heaven. Wow. You didn't say it, so I did. For his or hers is the kingdom of heaven. This blessed person will be comforted. There's lots of ways you can interpret these. Probably it has an application in this life and in an eventual total comforting in heaven. But this blessed person will be comforted. This blessed person not only has ownership in the kingdom of heaven, but this blessed person shall inherit the earth. Wow! That was good. I don't want us to be light with Scripture. But if God's Word doesn't thrill us, the world will. Wow! God says to us, this blessed person has ownership in the Kingdom of Heaven. And this blessed person shall inherit the earth. Thank the Lord. This blessed person will be filled. This person that has hunger and thirst will be filled. He will not be left hanging. He will not be left hungry. And He will not be left thirsty. He will be filled. Those hungers and desires will be met. Thank the Lord. This blessed person will obtain mercy. This blessed person will obtain mercy. This blessed person, this man or woman that lives out these beautiful attitudes, these beatitudes in Scripture... This person will see God. I don't know how you... How do you conceptualize what that blessing means? But this blessed person will see God. Probably it means in this life, and it also definitely means in our, our eternal reward. will see God. This blessed person will be called a child of God. One of the children of God. And lastly, we have repeated for us under verse 10, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in verse 12, for great is your reward in heaven. That's a lot of blessings. Think through those blessings. Sort of look back into the longings of humanity and see if you do not see those blessings meeting and far exceeding the desires that we human beings have. Do you not hear the longings of the world being met in this blessed person? This blessed person has ownership in the kingdom of heaven. This blessed person is comforted. The world is looking for comfort. No generation... As as has desired that comfort and has gone to as many ends to achieve that comfort as this generation, more pills prescribed, more um, <clears throat> psychologists hired. People are looking for comfort, but this blessed person will be comforted. This blessed person inherits the earth. People spend their life trying to stack up and add an acre and add five and add a farm. And when they're all done, they have a grand total of 12 acres. But this blessed person inherits the earth. Or oh, you have to share it. Yeah, you have to share it with all the other wonderful citizens of the kingdom of heaven. I don't want to hold the whole earth for myself. I'm looking forward to that. Whatever that means. You will inherit the earth. This blessed person will have his desires filled. Wow! We have a world in which people are just, they're just seeking to have their desires filled. People spend their whole lives trying to fulfill desires that they do not know how to identify and so they do not know how to fill. But God's Word says to us, if you will hunger and thirst after righteousness, that desire will be filled. You will not be left hanging. You will not spend your life with this gnawing sense of hunger. A gnawing sense of not being fulfilled. No. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. This blessed person obtains mercy. This blessed person sees God. This blessed person receives a great reward. Can you see how that all that we human beings naturally desire, all these things can be met, will be met, will be even exceedingly met for those that embrace the Beatitudes. That's the promise of God's Word. God is not only pointing us to the type of person He blesses, but He is laying out for us specific blessings. And yes, we should just obey Him because He's God. But isn't it wonderful that He lays out for us all these blessings that we can expect, that we can anticipate, that can motivate us to seek these beatitudes in our lives. I appreciated what Brother John said this morning about the fact that there's so much theology, if you will, of just me getting saved and that the ultimate is that I got saved. And that's what you hear in so many pulpits, including sometimes our own. But that over time warps our mindset. OK, and now we, we have agreed that, well, when you get saved, you also come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ we would say it's wrong to believe you can be saved, but Jesus not become your Lord. And I'm grateful that we say that. That's part way, but that's still not all the way to understanding what our brother was saying about the kingdom of God and recognizing that when you come to Christ, you are now entering the thing that you're supposed to live in and live out for the rest of your life. Because of this, American Christians including some of us, we react against the concept that, that Christ can demand obedience from us. If you don't agree, start preaching it practically and see what words you get back. Immediately. Legalism. Works-based. You know. Surely you've heard all those things. We're looking at it wrong. He's not telling us what to do. He's giving guidance to His kingdom. We chose to enter into the kingdom of His dear Son when we were born again. I would say that entering into His, to placing yourself under His kingship is much greater even than the, the concept of lordship, which we hear talked about all the time. It's all embracing. It's life embracing. I think we need to acknowledge That our own outlook has been somewhat warped by the Christian world around us. And may we use this weekend to take a move in our hearts, on our knees, in our prayer groups, in our fellowship. To take take a step towards embracing a Christian life which is kingdom. A Christian life which is all of our lives lived for His kingdom. I'm a missionary. I meet people all the time who talk about, oh, the great things that you're doing. And I sometimes I I tell them, I wish that it wasn't so outstanding to be a missionary because I don't believe it is outstanding. I believe that we are called to live out His kingdom purposes on this earth. He asked me to live out His kingdom purposes far away. There are some things which are more challenging there, but all of that is really beside the point. What we are all called to is our lives lived under the cross for His purposes. But as soon as you start trying to preach that, it looks like you're asking people to come up to an elite standard. It looks like you're um, preaching works and all those criticisms which are thrown against you or against us. A missionary is hopefully someone who has agreed to work out God's kingdom purposes across the ocean, overseas, in a different country, in a different culture. But it's not elite. We're all called to living under the cross, to taking our place there and acknowledging that our King guides all of our lives. Brother, Brother John said that living with kingdom values, the church is, if the church lives according to kingdom values, it will be a body of Christ on earth, showing how the world would be if everyone came into the kingdom. Wow. But that's true. People watch us as we relate to each other, as we face problems and crises in our lives. They watch us and they can see, oh, that's how it works in the kingdom. They watch our value system. Oh, that's the value system of the kingdom. It's ever so much more than just that they that they can look at us and see that we are saved. That's the entrance. But that's not the destination. Thank the Lord for His Word this afternoon. We are called to the kingdom and the kingship of our Lord. You can't live in a kingdom without acknowledging its sovereign. If you live in a kingdom without acknowledging its sovereign, you're called a rebel. Right? Right. To come into a kingdom means to acknowledge the kingship of the sovereign. And that's our Lord. And He has every right to lay out the value system of His kingdom. And we will be supremely blessed, as one of the, one of the Greek definitions, supremely happy. We will be supremely happy if we will come wholeheartedly into that kingdom. Not a toe in, not a foot in, wholeheartedly into that kingdom. Because once we're in there, that's when the blessings start flowing. That's when our value system starts to conform to His values. And suddenly we're able to understand that, yes, this the person who lives out these Beatitudes is supremely blessed. Looking just beyond the Beatitudes, the first 16 verses are included as the text for this message. And I think that it's good for us to realize that the Beatitudes do not are not standing alone by themselves. They are the introduction to the message, to the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 13, 14, and 15 talk about the effect that these beautiful, blessed people are supposed to have on the earth. Amen? They are to be the salt of the earth. They are to be the light of the world. They are to be the city on the hill. But all of those are spoken on the back of the Beatitudes. They, I wish it wasn't true of us, but the Christian world out there wants things to believe instead of things to obey. One writer said, we want credenda instead of agenda. Give me a list of creeds, not a list of things that need to be done. You know, because we think, well, it's easy to believe. Probably it's because we misunderstand what it really means to believe. Because to really believe means to embrace it and make it my own and conform my values to the values of that which I love. Give me things to believe let me have some kind of a a mental assent given to this set of to this creed now don't give me an agenda this and this and this and this try that on your boss on uh let's see monday morning you'll be going back to work monday morning just tell your boss i don't want a list of things to do today i'd like some things you know, like, uh, give me a picture of your business. Kind of explain to me what we're looking at here. Kind of your values of your business. Kind of the idea of what you're wanting. Try it. You won't get two minutes in. You won't. And your boss is just a human being who happens to pay you a wage to do his work. But he gives you an agenda, doesn't he? This is what we're going to do. And so, the Sermon on the Mount is very, very practical. Do you think that verse 13, 14, and 15 have a connection with these Beatitudes? you think they do? Is it possible that the church is not the salt of the earth because we're not embracing these attitudes? If we're not, then the Bible tells us here in verse 13 that if the salt loses its savor... It's not good for anything, but to be basically almost like gravel. Possibly a little bit of traction on the ground. It's basically worthless. If it is not salty anymore, it can't be used for anything. They just throw it out on the ground. And is not the church of Jesus Christ in America today pretty bland? Not very salty? Doesn't seem to make any great difference? Can't really tell if you're touching it or not touching it. Can't really tell if you're seeing it or not seeing it. The Sermon on the Mount. If the Sermon on the Mount is not being lived out, and specifically for our message this afternoon, if we are not embracing the Beatitudes, then we're not very salty. And God's Word says we're not very valuable. Because our value is based on our saltiness. And we're salty, we are We are effective based on how much we're living out this blessed life that Jesus lifts up and paints in, before us in the Beatitudes. Now I said I wanted to keep it positive, and I do. But God's Word does include warnings to us. And it's right for us to feel some kind of pulling back in our hearts when we realize God is not just painting a picture and saying, you know, this is really the best. This is really ideal. This would really be beautiful. You'd be blessed if you did it. We do have verse 13 which says, the salt's worthless except to be thrown out. I don't want to be thrown out. The church of Jesus Christ should not want to be thrown out. We should desire in 2012 more than ever before to be salty. To be bright lights. To be the city on the hill that we are supposed to be. Because you know, in this dark age that we're living in, God is expecting the church to be salty. And a bright light. And a city on the hill. One more reason to embrace these Beatitudes. Looking down at verse 16, because these all run together in the same paragraph. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Do you see all that back and forth? Let your light so shine in front of or before men so that they will look at your good works. And glorify your Father, which is in heaven. And so I thought of this. No living out of the Beatitudes. No embracing of the Beatitudes. No light shining. No good works. And no glory to our Father. Because it's through our light shining that the world sees those good works and gives glory to God. And the motivation of our lives is far beyond just I want to be blessed, the motivation of our lives should be I want to bring glory to my Father which is in heaven. And I want to be in this earth a great shining light amidst the darkness that surrounds us. I want to be a light that the world looks at and identifies those good works that are coming out of my life and gives glory to God. In closing... I thought of a parallel Old Testament passage, Deuteronomy twenty-eight, which we'll just look at briefly in closing. One of the outworkings of the idea that the 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 high point of Christianity or the the purpose of Christianity is to save me from hell—that's sort of a you know lightly glazed over humanism. Humanism with a light glaze of Christianity. But one of the outworkings of that in our our lives, even as Christians, is that many times we are not motivated for the glory of God. And I think it's interesting that in both Deuteronomy 28 and Matthew 5, the ultimate end of all of it, even while God pronounces blessings, incredible blessings, in the Old Testament and in the New, the ultimate is... God's glory. Let's just briefly look here. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28. Sorry. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 1. I'll read rapidly. I think you're familiar with this portion. And it shall come to pass if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and do all his commandments which I command thee this day that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shalt thou be in the city and blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy, thy ground and the fruit of thy cattle. The increase of thy kine, and the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses and in all that thou settest thine hand to do. And He shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. The Lord shall establish thee and holy people unto Himself. That's Old Testament, but it's definitely kingdom, isn't it? He shall establish thee and holy people unto Himself as He hath sworn unto thee, if thou shalt keep the commandment of the Lord thy God and walk in His ways. Verse 10, And all the people of the earth, and all the people of the earth, missionaries see those words, and all the people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name, Of the Lord. They shall be afraid of Thee. All people shall see. That Thou art called by the name of the Lord. Old Testament blessings are physical blessings. New Testament blessings supersede. And go beyond the physical. Into the spiritual. Which is the eternal realm. That we're all going to live in. After this brief sojourn on the earth. Eternal spiritual blessings. But both of these. Portions of scripture. End in the same way. And that's the way I'd like us to close out this brief study of Matthew 5. God desires glory from our lives. We are truly, as the title said, we are honoring Christ. We are bringing glory to Christ by embracing these beatitudes. Because as we embrace these these beatitudes, we become the light and the salt and the city on the hill so that Men see our good works and give glory to our Father. May God help you and I this weekend to embrace His Word and these Beatitudes. Thank you. Let's bow for just a moment. Lord, we thank You for Your Word here this afternoon. Lord, we we turn our hearts to Your Word. We embrace these Beatitudes this afternoon, we turn away from the world's value systems and the pseudo-Christian value systems around us, and we acknowledge that this blessed man or woman is what we desire to be for the blessings You've promised, for the beauty that it will be in this earth if Your people will accept these values. And yes, Lord, ultimately that people will see our good works and give glory to you. Father, continue to pull our hearts in this direction. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.